Romans chapter number 11 tonight. Romans chapter number 11. Romans chapter 11. God's plan for the Jew and for you is the title of my message tonight. We've taken the past several Wednesday nights. It's been a long time. I believe it's the beginning of the year. Started in Romans chapter number 1. And we're to Romans chapter number 11 tonight. And as we've gone through, you really could see from chapter number 9 through chapter number 11, you kind of see a parenthesis taken out. And Paul explains some things concerning the Jews, God's chosen people. Now, there are many today, and there are many that have many different doctrines and many thoughts on this subject. But unless they get it from the Bible, and a lot of people like to take some thoughts from the Bible and add their own to it, um, there's this doctrine that goes around called replacement theology. And that replacement theology basically says that the church has replaced the Jews. That is false. But I will, as we look tonight, and we'll finish up this thought with the Jews tonight, the Jews cut off their Messiah. They rejected their Messiah. And God set them to the side for a little bit of time. During that time, that ushered in the time of the Gentiles. And thank God for the time of the Gentiles. Aren't you grateful for that tonight? I'm grateful for that. We'll talk about that more as we go through tonight. But what I want you to understand is this. We see there's a tribulation coming. Seven years, right? Daniel, 70 weeks of years talked about in the book of Daniel. 69 weeks of years have been accomplished. There's one seven-week period left where God will go once again and work through the children of Israel, through the Jews. Paul, through inspiration, through these verses, explains some things to us, some things to help you understand the Jews are God's chosen people. Like it or not, that's how it is. But may I just remind you, just because they are God's chosen people, they must come to Christ for salvation the same way anyone else does. It's the same for all. It doesn't matter. And so we, had, we have a Jew that said that. So, and that went to, so that's, where that, that's why she said that. And so she knows that. And she trusted Jesus Christ for herself. And praise God for that. And so what I want you to see tonight is, you might say, well, this passage just has to do with God's dealing with the Jews. It does. But there's some things for you to see tonight as well in chapter number 11. There are not many sermons you hear through Romans chapter number 11. The sermons you will hear normally cover the last three or four verses, and it's a doxology of praise to God before it goes into chapter number 12. But tonight, you're going to get the whole chapter number 11. Paul has taken this time, and he's been trying to show that God has not forsaken the Jews. Yes, we see, but you got to understand, simply what God has done, he hasn't forsaken the Jews. He simply postponed what he's going to do with them for a future time. God will finish what he started with the Jews. It will be finished in his timing. But what I want you to understand is as we look at this, these verses tonight are going to explain to us in the area of salvation to this present time. We learn what God's plan tonight is for the Jew, but also for you and I tonight. As we look at these verses and as we dive in a little bit further, you might, some people might get this idea that God's done with the Jews after reading this far in Romans. Paul wants to make sure you understand God is not done. So with that in mind, we're going to read the first 10 verses 
And then later on, we'll get to the rest of the, 30, uh, the other 26 in a little bit. But starting in verse number 1. I say then, hath God cast away his people? God forbid, for I am also am an Israelite of the seed of Abraham of the tribe of Benjamin. God hath not cast away his people, which he foreknew. Wot ye not what the scripture saith of Elias, how he maketh intercession to God against Israel, saying, Lord, they have killed thy prophets, and dig down thine altars, and I am left alone, and they seek my life. But what saith the answer of God unto him? I have reserved to myself 7,000 men, who have not bowed the knee to the image of Baal. Even so then at this present time, also there is a remnant according to the election of grace. For if by grace, then it is no more of works, otherwise grace is no more grace. But if it be of works, then it is no more, of more grace, otherwise work is no more work. What then? Israel hath not obtained that which he seeketh for. But the election hath obtained it, and the rest were blinded. According as it is written, God hath given them the spirit of slumber, eyes that they should not see, and ears that they should not hear unto this day. And David said, let their table be made a snare, and a trap, and a stumbling block, and a recompense unto them, let their eyes be darkened that they may not see and bow down their back always. Father, bless the next few minutes that we have tonight. We love you. We need you. We thank you for this passage of Scripture. I pray that you'd help us tonight. And these are the tougher passages of Romans. You know it. You, you wrote it. You gave it to us. And I pray this is one of those passages that I was worried about if I ever did a series on the book of Romans. I'm not worried about what the scripture says. That never worries me because the scripture is always right. I know Brian, and I know Brian's way of explaining things. And this is a little deeper than Brian normally goes. But with the Holy Spirit's help tonight, I know you can help us get through this and see some things, some wonderful things in this passage. We love you. We need you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Number one. God's plan for the Jews and for you, number one, it involves the grace of God. It involves the grace of God. God's grace is very important when it comes to salvation and God's plan for the Jews and for us tonight. When we think about that and as we read those verses, first of all, letter A, we see God's saving grace. We see God's saving grace. And as we think about that tonight, number one, as we dive in, we see the issue. What is the issue? The issue, again, the question that Paul asked right in verse number one, has God completely written off the Jews? Has he condemned them to hell? Is it possible for them to get saved? And Paul says, God forbid that they can't get saved. Yes, they can get saved. And praise God for that. That's the issue and then Paul gives number two, he gives an illustration. To prove this, what does Paul say to us? Paul says, God forbid, for I also am an Israelite of the seed of Abraham of the tribe of Benjamin. To prove the fact that the Jews can still get saved, Paul's like, I is one. 
I am one. That's why. You see, I'm one. I got saved. It's possible. You know, we look and we think about in the room. It's possible, right? Stephanie, is it possible? It is possible. And so as we look here tonight and we think about what did Romans 10, 13 tell us? For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Say only Gentiles can get saved? No, it says whosoever. And last time I checked, whosoever means literally that. Anybody, whosoever. And so we see God's saving grace. Let her be. We see God's selecting grace. Say, what do you mean by that? We read verse 2 through verse number 10. And what Paul does in those verses that we read a minute ago, he draws the attention of his readers to the past working of God's grace and also to the present working of God's grace and shows them God's grace in action. What I mean by that is, number one, we see God's past selection. And what Paul does in verse 2 through 4, he draws us back to the life of Elijah for a few minutes to demonstrate the fact that there has always been a remnant of Jews that were believers. Remember, Elijah said, they've, all, they've killed all the prophets. There's no one left. And God's like, no, no, Elijah. There are 7,000 that haven't bowed to the image of Baal. There was a remnant of Jews that were still okay. Do you see that there? Do you understand what I'm saying here tonight? Elijah thought he was alone in his devotion to the Lord, but God reminded Elijah there were more than 7,000 who hadn't bowed the knee. When this was written by Paul, Peter was still preaching, wasn't he? Maybe, I think it was close still. John was still alive. Was John a Jew? Was he saved? Yeah. And so there are some Jews that do get saved. And so we see God's past selection. We see number two, we see God's present selection. Paul shows us in verse 5 through verse number 10 the fact that just as in the past, God has his remnant. There are those saved, and there are those who are not saved. There are saved Jews tonight. Go around the world, there are saved Jews tonight. Not all Jews reject God. But there are a lot of Jews that do reject Jesus Christ. They are blinded to that truth. But there are many that do get saved still to this day. God is not done and God has not written Israel off. He's just set them aside for a certain amount of time. As we look at this and we think deeper about it, Paul points out in this verse, the, in these verses, that those who are to be saved can be saved. And what we see is, how are we saved tonight? It is by the grace of God that you're saved tonight. Romans 2, verse 8 and 9, For by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourself. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. We're not saved tonight because of who we are. We're not saved anything you and I can produce. Salvation is by grace and grace alone. We see, number one tonight, that it involves the grace of God. Number two, we see it involves the grafting of God. The grafting of God. Pay attention with me tonight, all right? 
We're going to go a little deeper. Look down at verse number 11. It says, I say then, have they stumbled that they should fall? God forbid. But rather through their fall, salvation has come unto the Gentiles for to provoke them to jealousy. Now if the fall of them be the riches of the world and the diminishing of them the riches of the Gentiles, how much more their fullness. For I speak to you Gentiles, inasmuch as I am an apostle of the Gentiles, I magnify mine office. If by any means I may provoke to emulation them which are my flesh and might save some of them. Remember Paul said before how he had such a burden for the children of Israel, his people. He keeps on going here. And he says, For if the casting away of them be the reconciling of the world, what shall the receiving of them be but life from the dead? For if the first fruit be holy, the lump is also holy. And if the root be holy, so are the branches. And if some of the branches be broken off, and thou being a wild olive tree, wert grafted in among them, and with them partakest of the root and the fatness of the olive tree, boast not against the branches. But if thou boast, thou bearest not the root, but the root thee. Thou wilt say then, you're like, where in the world? Here, we're going somewhere. Thou wilt say then, the branch were broken off that I might be grafted in. Well, because of unbelief, they were broken off. And, by, and thou standest by faith, be not high-minded, but fear. For if God spared not the natural branch, take heed lest he also spare not thee. Behold, therefore, the goodness and the severity of God on them which fell, severity, but towards thee, goodness. If thou continue in his goodness, otherwise thou also shall be cut off. And they also, if they abide not, still in unbelief, shall be grafted in, for God is able to graft them in again. For if thou wert cut out of the olive tree, which is wild by nature, and were grafted contrary to nature into a good olive tree, how much more shall these, which be the natural branches, be grafted into their own olive tree? That's some verses right there. Isn't that some verses right there? Now let's relax for a second and translate this just a little bit tonight. This is the stuff I was talking about when, I, when God and I discussed going through this. When we talk about grafting, it involves the grafting of God. The first thing that we see, letter A, is we see the reason. From verse 11 through verse 15, from verse 11 to verse 15, what we see take place because the children of Israel refused to come to Christ for salvation, the Lord turned to another people. Do you remember what the Jews? He is not our king. We have one king, his name's Caesar. He's our king. Remember how they said that? And God said, okay, you don't want my son. I'm going to go to someone who wants my son. That's what he said. And so he turned to the Gentiles, the Lord did, 
and open the door for their salvation. The door is wide open. The Bible indicates that Jesus came to the nation of Israel and presented himself as their Messiah. They refused to receive him, and the way was open for the Gentiles to come to Christ. John 1, verse 11, the scripture says, He came unto his own, and his own received him not. But as many as receive him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. Do you see that verse there? The Lord set them aside, and he reached out to the Gentiles. Paul says, in verse 11 through 15 here, that God used the salvation of the Gentiles to provoke the Jews to jealousy. Paul hopes that they'll see what God was doing for the Gentiles and that, they, that the Jews would want what the Gentiles have in Christ. That's what the goal of this was. And you see, our lives ought to create a hunger and thirst in this lost world for Jesus Christ. That's what the Bible's all about in Matthew 5, Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. Ye are the salt of the earth. But if the salt hath lost its savor, wherewith shall it be salt? It is henceforth good for nothing, but to be cast out and be trodden on the foot of men. Ye are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. And when we look at those verses and we think about it, and, the net, and it goes on further, it says, Neither do men light a candle put under a bush, but on a candlestick, and it giveth light unto all that are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. The world should long to have what we have tonight. The Jews that do not know Christ should long for what the Gentiles enjoy in Christ. That's what Paul is saying right here in these verses before our eyes. We see the reason. The Jews rejected Christ. Because of that, Christ set them aside and Christ ushered in the Gentiles. He came and he let the Gentiles get saved and come to him to provoke the children of Israel, his people, to jealousy. To see, look, at God's being awful good to them. Why isn't he being good to us? Because they rejected the one who came to be their Messiah. That's the reason. Letter B, we see the results. Verse 16 and 17 are the results. The result is, and we look there, in verse 16 and 17, it says, For if the first fruits be holy, the lump is also holy, and if the root be holy, so are the branches. And if some of the branches are broken off, and thou, being a wild olive tree, wert grafted in among them, and with them partakest of the root and the fatness of the olive tree. The result is this. Get this tonight. The natural branches, the Jews, were broken off because they rejected Christ. The wild branch, the Gentiles, were grafted in. Have you ever seen a branch grafted into a tree? If you don't know what I'm talking about, go online and look it up, the process of it. Google it. Google could help you with that one. And you can take a branch that's not even part of a tree, and after some time, it becomes part of the tree when it's grafted in. It's really cool how it works. 
But that's what the Lord did with us Gentiles. The branches of the Jews were broken off, and he grafted us in to the tree. Part of that seed, part of Abraham's seed. We go further down that in a few minutes. But when we look at that and when we think about that tonight, we are allowed the privileges of being placed in a personal relationship with the God of heaven. Do you realize, think about the Old Testament with me for a minute. Think about the tabernacle in the temple tonight. Only Jews had access to the things of God in the tabernacle in the temple. They could go in the temple. They could sacrifice. They could approach the high priest. They could have their sins atoned for. They could enter into the things of the Lord. The Gentiles, on the other hand, were left on the outside looking in. Remember that partition we've talked about before in the book of Ephesians as we went through there? You see, what happened was we had no access to God. The Jews had all that. But when the Jews refused the Lord, their Messiah, it opened the door to us. Who is the door? Jesus is that door. And so, and John 10 talks about that, so there is no longer that wall of partition between a Gentile and Jew. Jesus wiped that away with what he did on the cross. And because of that, through Jesus Christ, we are allowed into the Holy of Holies today. We're allowed in his presence. Do you get that tonight? In Bible days, the Gentile couldn't step near the presence of God. But because of Jesus Christ and because of God's grace, he turned the fall of Israel into a blessing for us Gentiles. That's the results. Does that make sense? Are we okay? We're okay? We see letter C, we see the reminder that's given to us in verse 18 through verse 24. How are we doing on time? Oh, we're doing all right. We're doing all right. What's the reminder? Verse 18 through verse 24. It says, boast not against the branches. You see that right there? The redeemed Gentiles are reminded in these verses that they shouldn't brag or boast about their position in Christ. Right? Because the same God who grafted us in is the same God who could take us out. That's what it's talking about right here. Not broken off in a sense of salvation. Once you're grafted in, you cannot be taken out because nothing can separate you from his love. Didn't we already go through that passage? We did. But what I want you to understand is when we look at this is the image of grafting in branches. And I, I don't know if I'm going to go deeper into all of that tonight. But you've got to be careful of this. Don't become arrogant and prideful. As a grafted in branch. Because. And you got to understand something. At some point the Lord is going to turn back to the Jews. And also you could see. You could do study how grafting a tree works in different things. And you could see that there were some trees that would be less productive. That were grafted. Some branches are less productive. I go down this whole thing. But what I want you to remember is this. What Paul's trying to say right here is, hey, Gentile, don't you boast about being grafted in. 
because it's not about who you are and what you did. Salvation is all about God and what he did. Isn't that what we've covered the whole time in the book of Romans here? And so what you've got to understand is, do you look at verse 18, it says, look at verse 18 when it says, Boast not against the branches, but if thou boast, thou bearest not the root, but the root thee. What is Paul saying right there? The branches don't support the root. It's the root that supports the branches. And what's the root? Who's the root? Jesus Christ. What's the point of all this? We must never forget our salvation has nothing to do with anything great about us. Well, the Jews rejected the Lord. We were dead in our trespasses. Show me a dead man that's ever done anything. Think about that for a minute. I've used this example often, but it's a very true example. We think about Ephesians 2, those first few verses. We're dead in our trespasses and sins. How can a dead man be convicted? How? How can a dead man have faith? How? Can a dead man do anything? It is the grace and the faith we get from God that are God's gifts to us. See, salvation is not about how great you and I are. Didn't we talk about this morning? It's not about how great we are, but how great he is. In salvation, there's nothing great about us. There's nothing. You're not special tonight, okay? He's special. It's his grace. It's his faith. It's his gift to us. And Paul's reminder is the fact that it is of the Lord. And that's when we think of, is Ephesians 2, do you have any of those verses back? the screen or no go to ephesians chapter number two for a second just hold your place there we'll go back there in a second ephesians chapter number two and look just look at these verses and you hath he quick made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins this is us where in time past he walked according to the course of this world according to the prince of the power of the air the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience among whom also we all had our conversation in times past, in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. Look at the next two words. But God. Do you know what made the ultimate difference in your life tonight? But God. He did. You know who saved you? God did. You know who did all the work and who it's all about? It's all about Him tonight. That's the reminder that Paul's trying to say, hey, don't boast in your salvation and what you did, because you did nothing. You were dead in your trespasses and sins. God was rich in mercy. He loved you, and He did all the work. That's the reminder that Paul's trying to remind us about. That's the reason tonight you're not in hell because of something you did. You're not in hell because of what Jesus did. Let that sink in. Therefore, if we want to glory in something tonight, let's not glory in ourselves and what we do. Let's glory in the cross. Let's glory in our Savior tonight and what he's done. We see tonight as we look at this passage, we see number one, it involves the grace of God. Number two, we see it involves the grafting of God. Number three, it involves the guarantee of God. It involves the guarantee of God. Now look with me tonight at verse 25 of our text. Those who believe in replacement theology just need to read verse 25, and this will help them out. For I would not, brethren, 
that ye should be ignorant of this mystery, lest ye should be wise in your own conceits. Now look, the blindness in part is happened to Israel. When's the blindness going to stop? Until the fullness of the Gentiles become in. Until the rapture takes place. That's when God is going to work with the Jews again. When the, and we see the fullness of the Gentiles. When we're taken out. There's a great passage about the rapture that people don't even realize about the rapture. Those who want to deny a rapture and things, there's a lot of biblical proof, and I can go deeper. But look at what it says. And so all Israel shall be saved. As it is written, there shall come out of Zion the deliverer, and shall turn away ungodliness from Jacob. For this is my covenant unto them, when I shall take away their sins. As concerning the gospel, they are enemies for your sakes. But as touching the election, they are beloved for the Father's sakes. For the gifts and the calling of God are without repentance. For as ye in times past have not believed God, yet now obtain mercy through their unbelief. Even so have these also now not believed that through your mercy they, may, they also may obtain mercy. For God hath concluded them all in unbelief, that he might have mercy upon all. This guarantee we talk about starts letter A with his promises. What we see in his promise here is that Israel's blindness is temporary. It will end. It's a temporary condition. One day Israel... Their eyes will be open to Jesus Christ, and Israel will be saved. Do we need to talk about during the tribulation time? How many, how many of the tribes of the children of Israel get saved and start spreading the gospel all around during the tribulation time? 144,000, correct? Oh, those aren't, those aren't the Mormons or whoever. Is it the Mormons that believe they're the 144? Or the Jehovah Witnesses? One of them believe they're the 144,000. No, it, says, it talks about Jews. His promise. You see, God has not forgotten Israel tonight. But he is filling his house with those who come to him during this age of grace that we're in now. And you've got to understand, God's desire is that his house would be filled. If those who are invited won't come, he'll invite others in. Isn't that the parable? In Luke chapter number 14, we see that. In the end, you got to remember something. If God was done with Israel today, he wouldn't have fulfilled all of his promises made to Abraham. Does God fail in his promises? No, he does not. He keeps every one of his promises. And so we see it involves this guarantee. It involves his promises. We also see letter B. We see his purposes. In this present age, the Jew is the enemy of the Christian faith. Judaism and Christianity are not the same thing tonight. That pumpkin agreed with me, I guess. I don't know what happened there. I think Caroline was stomping her feet over there or something. I don't know what she did. You say, well, what's the difference between Judaism and Christianity tonight? Judaism denies Jesus Christ as the Messiah. 
and our Christian faith is built upon the fact that Jesus Christ is the Messiah. Am I correct on that? Yet God has not forgotten his chosen people. He has plans for them. And as they're called by God, you got to understand something. There will come a time where they will come to the Lord for salvation. I will tell you this. Israel has paid a high price for rejecting their Messiah. Going back to shortly after the days of Christ, and when the te- everything was level, they weren't even a group of people for a long time. We think about Hitler and what happened with all of those Jews. Almost 1,900 years, there wasn't even a nation called Israel. And in 1948, the United Nations created a country called Israel. God hasn't stopped loving them, and they are not. He hasn't stopped. He hasn't given up on them. And there's going to be a time where he works through them again during the tribulation period. And we could go deeper into those things. But you got to understand, we'll see that. And you could look at Zechariah. Cha- Do we have Zechariah um, 13, 6? And one shall say unto him, What are these wounds in thine hands? Then he shall answer, Those with which I was wounded in the house of my friends. It's one of the prophecies that are mentioned about the pain that they're going to go through and the pain that Israel's gone through. You could look at Zechariah chapter 10 through chapter number 12. But when Jesus comes, he'll redeem them and receive them unto himself. And Isaiah, I gave you a bunch of references there. That is referring to the Lord with Israel. That's what those verses in the book of Isaiah are all about in your notes that I gave you tonight. And as we look at all those things, you've got to understand something. There is great truth in knowing that God keeps his promises. If God didn't keep his promises with Israel, why would he keep his promises with us? That's what this passage is all about. And I'm so thankful that God keeps his promises. And what we see to close out the book here is we see tonight the message. What is it there? What's the message for the Jews and for all of us tonight? Well, it involves the grace of God. It involves the grafting of God. It involves the guarantee of God. And lastly tonight, it involves the glory of God. Paul closes out the chapter with a doxology of praise to God. Look at verse 33. Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. For who hath known the mind of the Lord, or who hath been his counselor? Or who hath given to him, and hath been recompensed unto him again? For of him, and through him, and to him, are all things to whom be glory forever. Amen. A little side note. In the Bible, there were no verses and chapters, right? So the very next verse, Paul says, because of this. Because of the fact that you've been grafted in because of salvation, all that God has done for you, I beg of you, brethren, by God's mercy and what he's done, to be a living sacrifice. And we'll get there later on. There's a turning point in the book. We'll get to in two weeks, Lord willing. 
What we see as we see a close here in this doxology, letter A, we see his greatness. His greatness. Paul is praising God for the fact that God doesn't change. God keeps his words. And you and I should praise God for the same attributes and the things that Paul mentions here. We think, first of all, of his greatness. Look again at verse 33 and 34. It says, Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. For who hath known the mind of the Lord or who hath been his counselor? Paul's first statement concerning the Lord has to do with his wisdom and his omniscience, being all-knowing. The question is, who knows the mind of God? And who is the person that gives God advice? Guess what? No one gives him advice. God's mind can be pondered by men through reading the Scripture, but no man or woman in this room knows the mind of God completely tonight. He is God, and you will never fully understand Him. What does the Bible tell us in Isaiah 55, 8 and 9? For my thoughts are not your thoughts. That brings me comfort. I'm glad that he can't think like me. I'm glad he can't act like me. His ways, neither are your ways, my ways, saith the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. That makes me glad tonight. You see, we are not his counselor. He doesn't need our advice. He does as he pleases, and we should just praise him for who he is tonight. What a good lesson for us tonight. Quit trying to figure everything out with God because you're not going to be able to do it. You gotta tr you, there are some people, they want to know every little detail and get every little thing figured out with God. Just trust him. He's worthy of our trust tonight. He sees the future. He knows everything. You can trust him tonight. This doxology begins with his greatness. Letter B, it extends to his grace in verse 35. Or who hath first given to him, and it shall be recompensed unto him again. The question is, to whom is God a debtor? Does God owe any man anything? Let me answer that for you. No, he does not. Sometimes people look at God and think that God should jump through hoops for them. Or you rub a little lamp and God should do whatever you want him to do. Or you pray and God will just do things the way you want him to do them. I want to remind you tonight, that's not the God of the Bible. He does things the way he wants to. The God of the Bible moves first. You didn't move towards him. You only love him tonight because he first loved you. Think about that tonight. Don't ever forget that truth. God owes us nothing. Hey, let me remind you that God owes you nothing tonight, but you and I owe him everything. Every dollar in our pocket is his gift. Every air-filled breath that we take belongs to him. Your home, your family, your car, everything you have is by his grace tonight. Don't ever forget that. Nothing, you, as we look at that and we think about those things tonight, God doesn't owe us anything. God isn't indebted to us. It's us who are indebted to him. 
This doxology closes out tonight. We see letter A about his greatness, his grace, and letter C, and lastly, his glory. Everything in this world exists tonight because there's a God in heaven who willed it to be here. That is he, he spoke it, he spoke this world into existence, he has all power. Colossians 1.16 tells us, For by him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether there be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by him and for him. You are created by him and for him tonight. God is the center of this universe. He is. I know man likes to think everything is wrapped around us. It's not. Everything was created by him for him. You were not created for your pleasure tonight. For his pleasure, right? They are and were created. Isn't that what the Bible says? Is he the center of your universe tonight? Do you give him the glory that is due to his name? Let us remember that the world does not revolve around you and I tonight. It revolves around him. And it might shock you tonight, and maybe some of you need to be shocked. This, everything revolves around him. Get your eyes off of yourself. Quit thinking everything's about you. And realize that whether you eat or drink or whatsoever you do, you do it all for the glory of God. That's what the scripture says. I'm getting tired. This is a Jewish passage. And we might wonder, why do we even bother reading it? It teaches us about God's grace and calling each and every one of us. It reminds us that God's a God who keeps his promises. It teaches us to always seek to honor the Lord in everything that we do. You're watching online tonight, and I've been amazed the past week or two. Um, sometimes I look and I'm like, why do we even do online services for people? Because it's like, I don't know if anybody's watching or anything else. At the fall festival last week, I had several people come up to me and say, hey, I watched you this morning or tonight. Not tonight because we were there. So I saw you this morning. I was at the police station yesterday. I'm a chaplain, so they had an open house. I'm there, and this lady's like, you pastor Victory Baptist, don't you? I watch you every Wednesday night. Praise God that people watch it. That's an excellent thing. Maybe you're watching online tonight. Maybe you're sitting here tonight. Let me ask you a question. Have you been grafted in? Are you a part of that tree? You can be. You can come to Christ. It doesn't matter if you're a Jew or a Gentile tonight, you can come to Christ. Or maybe you're here tonight and you just need to thank God for what he's done, his greatness, his goodness, his grace. When's the last time you just said thank you? We go to God all the time and say, God, I need this and I want this. When's the last time you said thank you? Thank you for letting me be a part. Thank you. Do us all a lot of good to have a little doxology time of our own, as Paul did, and praise God for what he's done. If you're not saved tonight, I hope that you would. In a moment, we're going to be dismissed tonight, but I'll stick around. I'll be right here towards the front.
you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, come talk to me. I would love to make sure you know how you can be grafted into the tree and be a part. Because you can be. If you're watching online, watch that salvation video that's coming on here in just a second. Actually, it's coming on right now, so I'm praying. Father, thank you for your love for us. Thank you.